0: Well, good morning. It's good to be together again for the, another day together. So let me uh, lead us in prayer. I'll be reading soon from 2 Timothy, um, but let's pray. Blessed Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your great love for your church all around the world and for the many congregations represented right here. Lord, we thank you for the the host church right here for Riverbank, all the people involved in serving behind the scenes. Please, O Lord, bless them in their life together and and use them for your glory in this community that many people in this wonderful community might come to know you and worship you forever. God, we pray that you would uh, bless us as we spend some time in this your word that you breathed out for us, uh, may it become a part of our life, may it change our life, we ask. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for uh, planting uh, your love within us, and we pray that it would just keep on growing for your glory, in Jesus' name. So um, 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 20, when I was told by Philip that um, we were all sequentially going through this passage, I was really happy because it's in the New Testament. And, you know, I've been kind of like categorized over there in the Old Testament. So it's nice to, nice to get out every once in a while because there's some really good texts in the New Testament. <laughs> And this is one of them. But then I was told that the, the theme was personal holiness. And seriously, I'm not trying to joke about this. Um, I was like, wow, I need more time to get ready for that. Like maybe several months, maybe maybe a few years before I can honestly with integrity preach from a text about personal Holiness. I mean, do you ever feel that way? Like it's Saturday, and you know you have to preach a certain text the next day, and you're like, "Well, I don't want to be a total hypocrite." But this this is the wonderful calling that we have. It's kind of a ready or not, here we go, calling. And and Paul wrote this to Timothy, knowing that Timothy needed to hear this, and if Timothy needed to hear this in Ephesus, how much more? Do we need it? Did we think we are above needing these kinds of um, appeals and uh, urgent uh, warnings? Well, no, we need it. So here, here, here we go. Second Timothy 2, verse 20, the, the word of God. Now in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So... Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. God's holy word. So, um, yeah, Paul's helping Timothy here on the matter of what should characterize his life. What should characterize your life? And then what should characterize your ministry? And then what's kind of going on behind the scenes? So first, what's, what should characterize your life? And the, the metaphor, the illustration that he's using, uh, like many metaphors in the scripture, are not as metaphorical as we think. So when he says, you are a vessel, I mean, you really are. It's not just you are similar to a vessel, you are a vessel. Now, we hear this of elaborate illustration about in a great house there are all these different containers and we have really sneaky ways of pushing back against such illustrations Um, humble ways we say well you know paul i was never really trying to be a super saint like you so i don't have to be a gold or silver or china object in the china cabinet i'm happy just to be the plastic bucket there in the garage i'll be the bedpan in grandpa's room you know i don't have to that's not just humbly rolling up my sleeves just doing the dirty work i don't have to be like some glittering lovely object but no this is you were designed for a particular purpose by god and his aim is that you would someday be glorified, sanctified and glorified. And so you are like, how did the Lord put it to Ananias when he said Saul of Tarsus is coming to your straight street on Damascus? Uh, and, and, and he is my, he said, my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles, Right. And that that same word, chosen instrument, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You are an instrument in in the hands of the Redeemer. And he is going to reach for you and use you for particular purposes. And you need to be ready for that. And and most of the time, we just have not made ourselves ready. Now, this is where we really push back against it because... We are, we're reformed. And, and so we believe in the sovereignty of God. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're talking all this stuff about what I need to do. Um, I got to make myself ready. This sounds, this sounds kind of Arminian, actually. And it's like all this, all this enthusiasm, Paul, I've got to like run the race and flee this and pursue that that's just a lot of me and you know i just am i'm not trying to i'm not trying to be in, i'm not trying to become anybody I, i'm not trying to grow my church that's god's work you know i'm just i'm just here and what that is is it's complacency it's laziness and paul is more reformed than we are okay so he would know what, whatever is good about reformed, he's the apostle Paul has got it. So like Luther, Calvin, they learned it from Augustine who learned it from Paul. So that's just brief church history. And so, um, so Paul's already got it. And, and he knows that it's not a contradiction that God monergistically works in your life even in terms of your sanctification. But Paul also knows, and he's telling Timothy the implications is therefore you need to respond to the gospel right so the the guilt grace gratitude triad a lot of us we, we are avoiding that third part the gratitude part and we hide behind theology as we avoid it like oh no I I don't need to do anything. Paul's saying, Timothy, you need to be this ready instrument, this cleanse. And he says, cleanse yourself. And that really bugs us because, like, how am I supposed to do that? A little bit of hand sanitizer. I'm good to go. No, no, this is, this is a lifelong project. And basically what he says about the cleansing I think it's verse 22. He's, he's kind of changing the metaphor at this point, going from instruments to running. Paul likes the running type metaphors, and he's saying, run away from one thing and run toward another. And this is that cleansing yourself process, this sanctifying process. So flee youthful passions The youthful passion for self-glory, making a name for yourself. The the youthful passion of, I want stuff, materialism. And then, of course, the youthful passion of sexual immorality and just lust. And, And he's saying, flee. So we hear the word flee and, you know, you, you get into the commentaries and see all the times this word is used to, like, flee Jerusalem when the crisis comes. Uh, Joseph, Mary, and the Christ child fled down to Egypt. It's a drop everything now and go kind of thing. But this is what we do. We say, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in verse 22. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of cutting back. I'm going to try to, like, imperceptibly slowly withdraw from some of these destructive lifestyle habits that I've got. And maybe by next synod, although that's sounding kind of like too soon, maybe two synods from now, I'm gonna be a different person. And, And that's just, it'd be like if you were on the phone talking with your former exchange student who lives in Ukraine, and you had arranged for an Uber driver to drive, I'm just making this up, to drive them to the Polish border. And they're like, well, I've got Tuesday afternoon open next week. And, and it's like, no, today's the day. The drivers outside flee. And what's that sound in the background? It's, it's, the, it's the bombs, you know? It's explosions happening. It is time Lot and his wife and his two daughters, it is time to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Lot do? He was like, well, can we take a selfie first? And he's just dragging his feet. You go back and read Genesis there. And it's, it's embarrassing. And, it's, it, and then even while they are fleeing, you know, his wife is looking back over her shoulder. And, then, and even after that happens, Lot is like, well, do we have to go very far? Can't we just stop in this town? And and the angels are so like accommodating. They're like, okay, yeah, that's that's good. We'll leave you here. Uh, but that's it's just distressing when I see that same attitude in my own life. Like, oh, I'm going to cut back on sin. No, the, this isn't something. Sin is not something to do in moderation. So you are to flee youthful passions drop everything don't take the selfie flee go and then it's but you are positively pursuing righteousness faith love and peace Um, oh that we would be men of righteousness and men of deep love pursuing peace with all faith Fixed on our Lord Jesus. And you don't do this alone, right? So in this very room, you have brothers. And maybe in your town, in your city, maybe in your region, even in other denominations, there are people, brothers that you have that could be your verse 22 cohort, those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, run this race, this pursuit of righteousness alone. He says, you do this in community. And he doesn't merely say you do it in community with other believers in Christ, which would be good enough, but he, he's actually picturing for Timothy certain believers those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, I'm not suggesting that there's different like hierarchies of Christians. It's just that you know the kind of person that you need in your life to help you along in your holy faith. And, and, and you need to find one or two of those uh, who call on the Lord from a pure heart and just, you know, uh, you're gonna be working on this pursuit of holiness together. Um, and so kind of getting back to what we're to flee, he says, have nothing to do with these foolish, ignorant controversies. Uh, you know that they breed quarrels. And when I read this, it's like, why have I s- wasted so many hours on social media? I told myself originally I was doing it so I could know the people in my congregation better. And, uh, That was true. I I really did. I, I was not personally drawn to photos of people's dinner at the restaurant or their puppy dog or their cat. Like, I didn't really care about any of that. I just wanted to know what the people in my church were thinking. And then I was shocked when I found out. And then I found out I was part of the problem, or maybe even the big part of the problem, because I'm getting involved in foolish controversies. So we heard a little bit about this yesterday, actually, because Paul's repeating himself, but there, there are controversi- controversies that are just foolish in and of themselves. And then there are arguments that are worth having, but foolish to have them in a certain venue, right? Like, should I really be arguing in public with this person when I could just have a better conversation with them alone, do less damage that way, be more likely to win them over? Um, So sometimes the venue is wrong and sometimes the, the connection between you and that person, like you just aren't the right person to, to even have that conversation with them. That's something that they need to be dealing with with their own pastor or, or with, yeah. So there's so many ways we can get the foolish controversy wrong, and, and we um, often defend ourselves in this and say, well, Paul, he, he was willing to go to the mat and tell Peter, that he was a heretic, and you foolish Galatians, and you know, Jesus mixed it up with the Pharisees and so forth. We, we've got our talking points for why it's okay to have arguments with people, but we kind of know what Paul is talking about. And we, we kind of know that we uh, can easily drift into this. And so he says in verse 24, the Lord's servant must be different. So, but what's to characterize your life? is not some sort of half measure, but 100% passionate pursuit of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent bear it away. You are to be taking heaven by storm and you are pressing in by faith in Christ, pressing in. What's to characterize your life is running that race with all that you've got what's to characterize your ministry, this is going to seem kind of like uh, counter to this 100% running the race, but what's to characterize your ministry is gentleness. So there's this passionate pursuit of the things of God should characterize your whole life. When it comes to your role as an elder, as a pastor, May you be characterized by gentleness, and you are being gentle in your correcting and teaching because you actually are thinking about the end result. I think the end result sometimes, what I'm shooting for is just like getting it off my chest, like checking the box like, yeah, I, I, the responsible thing is to tell this person off, so I'll do it. And there I've done it. No, no. What Paul's saying, no, you have to be very strategic about this. You're going to prayerfully persuade someone with the end goal that they would repent, that they would have this metanoia mind change, and they would finally come to their senses. They will be sober, clothed, and in their right mind and and you care the more you find out about this person this problem person in your church and and you're so easily disgusted with them they are their own worst enemy no paul says there's actually another enemy and if you could start seeing that they are not just a saint and a sinner but also a sufferer right that they that they have been ensnared by the devil and the devil has Trapped them in one of these traps that's probably illegal in Tasmania, but you know, like there's, there's traps that really work. And uh, you can't buy certain mouse traps anymore at Bunnings because it's not nice to the mice. But the devil, he grabs people, he's trapped them, and then he's drugged them, and they are addicted. And there's so many addictive sins, right? It's not just substance abuse. So many addictions. And if I can start understanding that this person that I'm so easily frustrated with, they are a sheep in my care as an under-shepherd of Christ. They, they've been ensnared by the devil. And Paul is like, no, you, your whole goal with them is that they might come to repentance and towards that end you would be wise to be gentle god's kindness doesn't have to lead to antinomianism god's kindness paul says in romans leads to repentance so very strategic kindness is it's not just one of these polite things that oh, we think of it as soft a soft virtue now you're being kind and gentle Because you are the Lord's servant. So, the way Stott puts it in his wonderful little commentary on 2 Timothy is that Paul goes from describing you as a skeuos to describing you as a doulos. So, skeuos, the instrument, the vessel, to a doulos, to that servant, that slave, right? So, the Lord's servant must be gentle. And um, I I really am convinced, and Stott convinced me of it, that what Paul had on his mind here with the Lord's servant in verse 24, um, when he describes the Lord's servant, each of these characteristics that characterize the ministry of Timothy and Ephesus and by god's grace would characterize your ministry um, that paul has a, a particular source um, he's getting all of this from somewhere and it's not necessarily his own life he's read about the lord's servant somewhere in the holy scriptures the lord's servant who has a tongue that has been taught the Lord's servant whose ears are open to the, to the Lord's word. The Lord's servant who is gentle, who will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick, The Lord's servant who endures evil, who allows them to rip out his beard and, and strike them on the cheek. The Lord's servant who bore our sins. By his stripes we are healed, that Lord's servant. If you read the servant songs of Isaiah and compare them to this little paragraph in second Timothy, there's striking resemblances. So you are the Lord's servant. And when we say you're pursuing holiness along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, the yeah, I was recommending you find a brother or two that you could really be on this journey together. But you are on this journey with the suffering servant himself, with the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And, and all of this description Paul gives, this is, this is our Lord Christ. Um, Patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance. So repentance really is a gift. So, so Paul did know that it was monergism after all, right? Um, we can't make somebody repent. They can't make themselves repent. This is going to be a sovereign gift from God. And, and we are to love them with gentleness and, and be you know, just totally committed to the truth in their life, that this is all by God's grace, and and you're doing all of this as the Lord's servant whose life has been captured and rescued by the suffering servant himself, Um, so that together, as a, a band of brothers, we end up clothed and in our right mind, among those who have come to our senses, disentangled from the many snares of the devil, um, even though we had been captured by him. You've been captured now by, uh, by your Lord Jesus. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, please help us with our many... Uh, pathetic excuses and somewhat clever ways that we try to avoid this wonderful uh, gift that you would give us, this this gift of our sanctification. Um, Lord, we, we really do want to be used by you for your glory. We really do want to be ready um, serve you uh, ready with a word in season uh, ready to love and, and to help and God we confess that we've we've wasted years and years of being just marginally prepared uh, just somewhat ready so Lord we ask that with however many years you would yet give us in this life, that, that uh, you would fill us with your spirit and help us to, to just run, run, run towards faith and love and peace. And may your peace be with us to the very end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.